Sandra Ortega, and this is Why the F Am I an Artist? I have my friend Eloisa here from Miami. Hi. You can say oh, hi. There I go. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so everyone, if you have not done a podcast before, sometimes you have lovely things called technical difficulty, which we did because Eloisa and I have actually already done a podcast episode of why the F I am an artist and it was a great interview. It really was. Yeah. But it didn't record. So (laughs) here we are again. I know. (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) So round two with Eloisa, who is an incredible artist um, from Miami. Hi, my name is Eloisa. I'm an artist from Miami. (laughs) No. um, Yes. My name is Eloisa. I'm from Miami. Um, I pretty much wear many hats in the arts. I do the administrative thing. I do the production thing and I do the artsy, artsy performing thing. So yeah, that's me. So Eloisa and I, I always like to kind of do a bit where, how we met and Eloisa and I actually met at Gable stage Miami where I was the bartender for the shows and Eloisa, you were. For Gable Stage, yeah. Yeah, she was Yeah. She was a boss. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. and downward inflection on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we we actually met within a theater realm, but you what so what did you go to my school for? undergrad was in vocal performance. I started off at uh, Miami Dade College and then I transferred to UM. Go Canes. Go, um, go Canes, yeah. I, I graduated in 2008, and then I told myself, I am not going back to school. I am exhausted. I am so tired. And then 10 years later, here I am getting a master's degree in performing arts administration. That's a, that's incredible. What is a So it's pretty much just the business side of the arts, like running an arts organization, running a theater, um, everything that's kind of behind, behind the scenes. Whatever's not on stage, that's arts administration. Okay. Wow. So yeah. you're, you're really doing yeah. it all. Yeah, I'm in my last in semester, so I'm really excited to just get it done. That's incredible. And so where are I'm you getting your master's um, from? In Roosevelt University, which is in Chicago. I do my summer uh, classes in person, which I don't think it's going to happen this year. And my fall and spring is going to happen. It happens online. So if anyone is interested in ever pursuing yeah. that as a career, hey, you can go back to school and do exactly. it online, get your master's, which is great way to get your master's degree because I know it's difficult once you get into a career yeah. path or just life in general if you have if some people have kids and want to go yeah. back to school I think especially that's a great with, route to yeah especially with like arts administration back. if it's something like that there's a lot of programs that just offer like certificates which aren't really degrees you know so but yeah there's those mm-hmm. programs out there for sure I know this not everyone does but you I am were an opera, opera singer, singer. And yes, yes, you are an <laughs> opera singer. My apologies. And so you, what is your story of how you did change your major? Because you said that you changed your major right. when you so, were in Miami-Dade. Of course, just like any arts kid, you go through like grade school, doing the art thing, drama classes, choir, things like that. So I was involved with choir and music throughout all of grade school. And then once I graduated high school, I thought, you know what, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make a 
a living through the arts. I'm not going to major in it. It'd be a waste of my time. So I enrolled in MDC Mm. as a hospitality major. And then one fine day, (laughs) one day I I just happened to stumble upon one of the opera workshops, performances, recitals that they were having. And I just sat in and I watched it and I'm like, oh my God, no, I have to go back to the arts. I have to go back to music. Like this is my thing. So I left that performance and literally the next day I switched my major to music. And the rest is history. That's a beautiful thing. It was just thing. like what opera was that scenes. performance. It wasn't anything in particular. There was one oh. from the Mario Figaro. There was, um, I think there was La Boheme in there. It was just like little arias and little scenes. Oh, very nice. Yeah. And um, I love the fact that we did talk about this yeah. in, when we first recorded, how pretty much all arts people usually yeah. are hospitality majors and then, yeah, and then yeah. usually switch. I mean, maybe it's our nature which, of wanting to just bring people together. Which, I, don't, I don't know. But it's so interesting that a lot of people that ended up being some sort of arts major were once hospitality major. I mean, I was. It, it def- it's yeah. definitely serving people and giving a quality of service that I think like the providing arts also an serves in one way or another. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. When you are doing a show, whether you're behind mm-hmm. stage or on stage, you're making sure things are going to be mm-hmm. the spectacle for an audience to truly yep. gain something from it. That's the That's beauty, the beauty of the arts. Of the arts. Yeah. So when you were doing opera after mm-hmm. you graduated from um what did you end up doing what was your there was an interesting path like personally i was going through a couple of struggles like um you know my parents separating and then six months later after graduation my dad actually passed away uh no i mean it's yeah it's, i'm sorry it's life you know what i mean like you get through it and it is it's definitely yeah, life <laughs> in order for me to kind of just like escape my problems i moved to new york <laughs> I moved to New York and I did the whole auditioning thing. I did perform quite a bit when I was up there, um, mostly with opera. I hadn't even gotten into theater yet. I was just, my goal, my focus was still, I must perform. I must perform. Um, so I did some work with like regional theater, co- regional opera companies. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. And then eventually what happened was my student loans came out of deferment. So I had to come back home. <laughs> Because I couldn't afford to live up there anymore, but I was doing more office work than arts work. You know what I mean? And that's not what I went up there for. So I came back down to Miami. It's definitely hard. Um, I said it in the last episode. I did live in New York as well. And I went there. I had done a show for Mm -hmm. a summer festival and I fell in love with the city and I wanted to move there. And I did. And I did a couple of shows. But I yeah. started working like three jobs and I just yeah. couldn't, I couldn't yeah. do it anymore. I felt miserable and I wasn't even enjoying doing yeah. art anymore. It was just constant work yeah. and stress of the city. And so I did, I did have to move back as well. I mean, it wasn't yeah. due to student loans, but if anyone does have them, uh, definitely check out if your school offers it, mm-hmm. theater scholarships really help as well as grants. I mean, if you're the first person in your family yeah. to go to college, oh, you sure. can definitely get a grant for that. Those are 
those are certain things I never knew. And then I started learning because I am one of those lucky people, knock on wood. I did not have to take out a loan. Exactly. But not everyone is that lucky. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I there was a bunch of resources that I didn't know about either, um, especially with like arts programs. They're so competitive already. But yeah, there mm-hmm. was a bunch of stuff back when I was applying for school that were not available to me, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. That's amazing. And good for you because you ended up go- now going back to school and, I'm completing and my you're masters. completing I your know. masters. I know. It's crazy. I, I honestly never thought that I would even get into a master's program, you know, or just, I, I, I don't know. It's, it wasn't something that was on the radar up until one day that I woke up and I'm like, you know what I want to do today? I'm going to get my master's. <laughs> and it just kind of happened. I think it was more due to the frustration that I was feeling with the work that I was doing here. Um, and what was available, like the arts that are available here today or um, at the moment, you know what I mean? Or the lack thereof. And I was like, yes. And, uh, yeah, here's and here is in Florida. Yeah, because although Miami, we are melting okay. pot city with all these cultures, you don't see that reflected in the arts very much. You know, now you're starting to see little projects pop up, um, you know, like the Amparo experience. And, you know, um, you see like a lot of the touring shows that are coming in are now like the Latino shows. But that wasn't something that was seen a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the first to get bring on your it feet. was yeah. Get On Your Feet was the first show that hit Broadway that was like a Latin experience. There were yeah. so many Cubans on stage. I remember seeing that when I did live in New York and just crying yeah. because I was so proud as a Latin woman. Right. You don't get to see that right. represented on stage yeah. as much. It's true. Even living in Miami, it is very true that you don't yeah. see it as often except for now, which you did bring up the uh-huh. Amparo experience. Could you actually tell us sure. what that so, show um, the was? The experience was an immersive uh, theatrical play, you would say, which actually started off as a marketing activation, believe it or not, for the Real Havana Club Rum. Yeah, it's, it was really so cool. cool. It was just, it's, the way this <laughs> happened was so interesting with that show. Um, so it started off as a marketing activation for the Real Havana Club Rum, and it told the story of the Arrechavala family, who were the owners of that company, of the rum company in Cuba. Um, And basically the struggles they went through once their company was nationalized by the Castro regime, you know, um, and their struggles to get to the United States and kind of start from scratch. You know, they had this kind of empire in Cuba with their rum company. But, you know, once they got to Miami or the United States, it was just like it didn't almost almost didn't even exist. You know, they had to kind of start from the bottom again, you know, and work their way up. But it was it was a beautiful story and it's it was a, a beautiful play. It ran for nine months or eight months, actually. Um, but it did have a couple of like preview uh, events in Miami before the actual run and one and in New York. And that experience, it was different stories of different characters, right? right. I remember right. reading the up on it The spine of the bit. story was the same. Like you would all end up in the same room. You would start and end in the same kind of um, in the same spot. But... It was, I would say it was told through the eyes of several different characters. The tracks were actually not even family members. It was one family member of the Arrechavalas that was one of the hosts. Everybody else was kind of an outsider that was somehow affected by the story. Um, so you had Javier, who was, um, Javier Arrechavala, who was one of the 
family members who was Ramona Rechavala's cousin. Uh, you had Celia, who was a manicurist. You had um, Antonio, who was um, one of the factory workers of the major domo of the Rechavala family. So it was really just a cool way to put a story together with all these different viewpoints. It's incredible. And it, for anyone who doesn't know, this is an immersive theater experience. So you're kind of going into the world and being like a right, fly right. on the you're wall part of in the story. a way. You kind of shape the story in a sense, you know? Yeah. You shape the experience. Yeah. That is beautiful. Yeah. I love that kind of theater. I think it's very, it's, it's so informative, but mm-hmm. it's also so touching yeah. at the same time. It makes time. the story much more effective and much more emotional because you're for lack of a better word, immersed in the story. And you were the production manager for that show, correct? I was the house manager for that. House manager. Okay. So the house house manager is pretty much in the case of the Amparo experience. (laughs) It's not your traditional house manager where theater, you're kind of in contact with the stage manager. Um, This was a little different because again, it was, it was uh, structured as a marketing activation. So there's lots of factors you have. You're working with pretty much, the box office, um, you need a count of the amount of people that are coming into the house at any given moment. You have to relay that information to the bar staff downstairs. You have to relay that information to the stage manager who is in her booth. Um, it, it's just a lot of stuff, but you're kind of the overseer of what's happening before the actual show starts. Um, and then kind of just stay you know, on top of things while the show is going because we were maneuvering about 80 people in that house at one time, you know what I mean? Wow. And they're all in different rooms. So it's pretty, it was a pretty interesting and, you know, learning experience for me. <laughs> yeah. That's a hell of a job. I mean, you told me that uh, now to inform everyone who's listening, you went from yeah. working in a box office to then boom, being a house manager for right. over 80 people, because you have to include all the artists oh, as yeah. well who were within the production. I mean, that is I mean, yeah. night and was, day right it there. Scary. It and... was a scary experience. I felt very unprepared, but it was so <laughs> exciting, you know, because it was something different that I had never done. You know, it was definitely worth it. I mean, and I didn't even realize that I had, that I was going to work with the Amparo experience by the time that I left my previous job. I just, I wanted my weekends free. That's all I did. <laughs> I was like, I need a break. I need my weekends <laughs> off for a while. And lo and behold, two days later, I get called for the Amparo experience. And then no and more then weekends no for more nine weekends months. weekends for nine months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. How was it for you? Because that show was extended, I think it was extended how many like times? Three, like times? three or four times? When I, yeah. When I signed on, wow. we were only supposed to go until, God, I want to say it was end of May. Because I signed on a week after it opened. Okay. So I signed on end of April. I was only supposed to work for about another month. And then we kept, you know, getting extended and extended and all the way through November. That is amazing when yeah. it comes to being an artist, a working artist, to to get work that mm-hmm. continuously gets extended. Not only is that a huge honor and uh, congratulations to you and the show yeah. and the director, the writers who I do yep. know, and yes. they're fantastic yes. women. Hell yeah, powerful women. It's such a freaking victory because that your mm-hmm. art is being appreciated so much that... Yep more and more people want to witness it. And I think being artists of any caliber, yeah. and I think that's for all me, One of the things for. that it proved um, with this show being extended so many times 
was, you know, I often hear this, I often hear this thought that, you know, Latinos don't want to go to theater. Latinos don't want to pay too much money to go to theater. There's no money, you know, for people in Miami to go to theater. And that is so not the case. That is so not the case. Yeah, we had sold out shows all nine months. You know, we had sold out shows all nine months. So that just means that, you know, we do want to go to theater. People in Miami do. We are a theater city. It's just sometimes we're not producing work that people want to see. Or not yeah, only see, or, yeah, exactly. I think it's connect yeah, to. They don't see themselves reflected on stage. Yeah, and I think if if you can't connect to mm-hmm. what's being put out there, then people aren't going to want to spend yeah. the money to to witness it. That actually leads me now to your current job that you had, unfortunately, right. due to this coronavirus that we right. all are being affected by. You right. were working with Miami New Drama. It's yeah, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful, world. Yeah, exactly. it's a wonderful like the world. Title of the song. Yeah, and this, this is, is a, a world an original play, um, show written by Oren Squire, and the music is by Michael Mitchell and Anastasia Victory, um, which are just yeah, it's a musical. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know which, it was a they're musical. Just fabulous. I mean, they're all fabulous artists, writers, playwrights, just everything. It was just such a great ensemble of artists to work with this show you were you were the actual right for this one i was the production assistant on this one yeah and you had you had the opportunity right to at least right work so on that we began rehearsals in january um and it was just full steam ahead throughout you know february and then we did about i think it's six or seven previews uh yeah we were able to do six or seven previews oh, and nice. then we were That's supposed good. to open on the 14th of march but our last preview was the 13th mm-hmm. so yeah yep. that's when yeah. things really started shutting down right march yeah. 12th was the last day i worked at my job yeah so it's definitely a struggle for theaters but um you did mention that the the theater scene within miami was missing that right that latin flavor but miami new drama actually yeah, I think miami, brings I mean, miami that to miami doesn't it theater companies right now um just because they do work that nobody else is, is willing to risk doing, you know? And I think with the arts, what, that's what we're lacking a lot of mm-hmm. people just being able to, willing to take risks and, you know, put on shows that are written by, you know, minority playwrights or just, I don't, I don't know. It's just, there's something about, I think it has to do a lot with, you know, who your audience base is at the moment and willing to risk losing some of those you know, donors and audience members. But yeah, I think that they're one of the theater companies mm-hmm. that does like just new work. And they're, I, I want to say even a little avant-garde, you know, just with their staging and things like that, from what I've seen, the shows yeah. that I've seen at that theater. It's amazing. I know the, the Cubans, last show yeah. that they did was called The Cubans. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, hey, and, and that's that great. Did really Some great well representation yeah. right there. Wonderful. So I have one last okay. random fun question for you because this is mm-hmm. called Why the F I Am an Artist, the stories of those who took the road less traveled. You did say when you saw that show of the different opera performances that it really mm-hmm. changed your path and you went and changed your major. Did you ever imagine that you would be where you are now? after changing your major because you went from doing opera to now doing production assistant, a house managers, you're getting your master's degree in administration. 
Did you Abs- ever see yourself taking not. that route within <laughs> this road? Not. I I <laughs> thought to myself, I was like, you know what? I am just going to uh, audition, perform. And I was just so headstrong on just like, you know, this is what I want to do. And, and that's it. There's nothing else. Like I had the blinders on, you know what I mean? I think yep. that life kind of throws curveballs at you. I think that the more you experience the more you learn and the more you realize that maybe some things aren't for you or you just discover new things that you enjoy more you know uh but yeah no I never thought that I was gonna do arts administration you know I never never thought that <laughs> at all <laughs> especially like backstage work and stage management oh my gosh no no I was like I need to be center stage but now I'm like you know what maybe not <laughs> I'm okay with you know, helping create spaces for people to create. Yes. And you're an all around artist. Yeah. I mean, opera singer, yeah. vocalist, you are an actress as well. Cause I right. gotten to see you in a show at micro theater, Miami. You've done box office manager, house manager, <laughs> production <laughs> assistant. Shit girl. You got That's it all. One thing that I've always <laughs> strived for. I want to understand everybody's, I kind of want to, I want to understand everybody's uh, position. <laughs> you know, when creating a show. So I think that's why I I kind of want to learn a little bit of everything, you know? Yeah. And I think that's so important and valuable within this arts community that we live in is that you really should be a sponge with everything and soak it all up because it is all so valuable. Well, Louisa, thank you for being on the podcast. You have been (laughs) incredible to do this round two with me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so grateful to have you on here. And before you go, uh, top three operas that you can recommend okay, to so listeners I'm to that there aren't check any out. opera folk listening. But uh, so I always kind of recommend like some standards for <laughs> like beginners, opera beginners. So I would say Carmen, which is amazing, La Boheme which is Puccini and it's some of the most beautiful music that I have ever heard and the marriage of Figaro, which was written by Mozart and it's super catchy. Well, I also have um, a website that everyone can also go check out if they do want to go see live performances online because we all are in quarantine. So that's the best way to check out art and still be immersed and learn something new. I've never really seen an opera I'm ashamed to say, but I haven't. Uh, it's called operawire.com. And it, str- it streams an opera for 24 hours. So you can see a variety of different shows on there. So you'd be able to catch two shows today. So um, the one that they posted up yesterday and then the one that they've posted today. Well, that is you'd cool. Be able to see I two. think I'm going to check that out. <laughs> Eloisa, thank you for being on. I am Amanda, and this is why the F, I am an artist. And that was Eloisa's story of how she became a superstar within this arts world, getting her master's degree, being a kick-ass Latina. So thank you again, Eloisa Ferrer, for being such an inspiration to me and for doing this episode Again, because with remote podcasting, there is definitely a trial and error process. And I learned from the first round that it was a big learning curve for me. So anyone out there doing a podcast, don't give up just because you have to do remote podcasting during this quarantine time. It's definitely 
a learning lesson and there were a few glitches and a few technical difficulties within this episode, but don't give up. Thank you for listening. I'm Amanda Ortega, and this is Why the F I'm an Artist. And that was Eloisa Ferrer's story of how she's taken her road less traveled and really made the most out of it. Till next week, everyone. I hope you all are staying safe during this quarantine time. This closing song today is a special one. Eloisa Mercedes Ferrer has sang, I Put a Spell on You. You can catch it on her Instagram as well. Bye, everyone. Have a great week.